Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Business Growth Show, where we talk about all components of business and how to utilize them for exponential growth. My name is Nathan Cassiotis. I'm a business growth expert where I help business owners grow and scale to create wealth and freedom. And today, I have an awesome guest. His name is Dean Jenkins, and he's the founder and director at a specialty brokerage firm called Jenkins Insurance and Financial Services, with a focus on credit insurance, surety, PRI, claims, and collections. And with over 27 years of experience in the insurance and financial services industry, he's a seasoned expert in trade credit, surety, political risk, and trade and receivables finance. And he founded Jenkins Insurance and Financial Services in 2021, a specialty brokerage firm that helps clients protect businesses from catastrophic trading debts, improve liquidity, and access global markets. And he works for a diverse range of clients from SMEs, to multinational corporations across various sectors and regions. And he takes pride in delivering tailored and innovative solutions that meet the unique needs and challenges of each client using a plain English approach that simplifies complex concepts and processes. Welcome, Dean Jenkins. So thank you for being on my show. Hey, nice to be here, mate. Nice to be here. Appreciate it. Awesome, mate. It's great to have you on here. I'm sure there's going to be a lot of gold shared here today. So you're a successful entrepreneur. So just for those people who don't know who you are, please introduce yourself by telling us about you and your journey. Yeah, no problem. Um, yeah, so uh, as you mentioned, I've been in the, been in this particular industry, in the insurance industry, for approaching 30 years. Probably need to update my uh, LinkedIn. It's creeping up, mate. I've been involved since the uh, sort of mid-90s, so just to give you an idea of how old I am. Um, but uh, yeah, been on the Australian shores since 2007. Um, during that time, worked for some big sort of, you know, the, the major uh, global brokerages, your, your marshes and, and that sort of stuff, and your Lockton's. Um, and like I said, I, I started the business in 2021 um, at the height of COVID. So absolutely perfect timing. Um, but, uh, you know, as far as my journey and, and where I started, I'm one of these these sad individuals that uh, knew what they wanted to do from a very young age. So I started in insurance at the ripe old age of 13, believe it or not, which is very, very, very sad. But uh, in Wales, where I'm from, as you can tell, I'm not Australian, um, you go on work experience at 13. And I, in my infinite wisdom, decided to go and work for an insurance company. And from there, I sort of fell in love with it, which is quite novel because most people in insurance just fall into it. And they don't actually pursue it as a career. They do something else and they end up, you know, falling into it. But me, I was uh, I was very driven. I wanted to be, in particular, uh, a trade credit broker. And I achieved that dream by the time I was 20. And I moved to Reading and worked out in London. So I've been around a bit. Um, but like I said, been here since 2007. And uh, I call Australia home now. And uh, obviously, setting up the business uh, a couple of years ago is... Uh, is the latest part of the journey. So having fun and, and uh, helping clients, which is really good. Yeah, awesome, mate. Love that journey. And I know a lot of those places because of soccer or football is what you would call yeah. it um, over, over there <laughs> and everything. So I yeah, love it. Um, you know, plenty of uh, awesome stuff. And uh, yeah, great yeah. to have you on our shores now. Mm -hmm. uh, enjoying it uh, here in cool. Australia too and providing your value. So let, let's get into it and uh, let's talk mm -hmm. about, yeah, currency uh current insolvency numbers right that's happening in the market and i guess what implications that that's creating too yeah look i mean it, it's a strange thing um and most people most people run businesses you know if they haven't had a loss or they haven't had a bad debt or uh, a payment delay and they're just trucking along it doesn't really affect them and they don't really see it but there's certain sectors and certain industries that 
at the moment uh, are probably more active than others, um, mainly construction, sort of food accommodation. They're the big, they're the big ticket sort of sectors that are that are really struggling at the moment. Um, and I'm not sure if I can can you, can you share the screen just so I can just bring up the yeah, mate, you can jump in. Yeah, share the screen. I'm not going to bore bore you too much with it with figures and numbers, but this one's quite obvious when you look at the numbers. Yeah. So I'm just going to share. Yeah, sure, it may. I think it's important um, because yeah. that's how we can make better decisions and then what's coming, right, when we look at the numbers. Yeah, yeah exactly. Um, so I mean, look, this is this is just your basic numbers, right? So when you when you look at when you look at these highlighted areas in pink, right, what you're effectively looking at are the COVID years, and this is financial year 2021, financial year 2022. So that's 21 to 22, June to, June to July. You know? So as you can see, you know. Financial year 2020, pre-COVID, these are your standard numbers, you know, 10,000, right? And these, these are um, all appointments. Right? So what you end up with is a standard sort of area around about that base level, 10,000, say 11,000, right? So 10,000 2020, that's standard, right? And then during COVID, it just dropped off a cliff, right? Which is opposite from what we thought, right? And the reason for that is the amount of government stimulus and the amount of the amount of patience that was, was afforded by the ATO and the banks and anybody that basically wants to collect debt, you know, it was all forgotten, right? And what happened, it started to creep up, you know, in the financial year 2023. And now we're starting to see numbers post-COVID at, you know, sort of pre-COVID and above, right? So you're looking here in 2023, 10,377, just for a just for just for example reasons, um, and then you're looking at July and you compare July to in this current financial year to last, and you're seeing big increases. Right, bit of a weird one for September. This is obviously a month old. And this is straight from um, ASIC, so Australian Securities Investment Commission. So the numbers are are on point, but you can see these numbers are starting to tick up. There's a, a, there's a bit of debate whether they've peaked, but to be honest with you, I don't think they have. Within the insolvency sector, you have something called the domino effect. So what happens is, as soon as somebody goes insolvent, they owe creditors money. Those creditors, because they're owed money, they struggle financially as well, which causes them you know, financial burdens, and in turn, can force them into insolvency. So you end up with this domino effect. And it's not until it sort of really runs its course that you, that you fully understand that the entire ripple effect, right? But, in here, you can clearly see that the numbers are spiking. You've gone from these lows of COVID all the way up and beyond what was previous in, you know, pre-COVID. Right? And we're going to see over the next couple of months how that really pans out. De December and January tend to be quite small months anyway, historically, because most people wouldn't like to shutter their business and put people out of um, put people out of work before Christmas time. So they tend to hang on and nobody's just around, right? Everybody's having holidays. Everybody's just in that sort of down, you know, um, in that, hold on a second, let me just make sure I'm doing the right thing. So everybody's on sort of closure, right? But the proof is in the pudding, but you do have this lag effect, right? So the numbers are spiking now and we're not gonna see the implications of this in the economy and in the wider sort of unemployment area 
for at least another six months. That's basically what I'm saying. Mm. Yeah, cool, mate. Thank you for sharing that. And um, mm. yeah, I guess slightly mm. uh, worrying, but but need mm. to know, right? You can't have your head in the sand or anything like that. Mm. It's what's going on out there in the market. Um, so thank you for, for sharing those numbers and they're going up. But it's interesting mm. with the lagging effect that you're talking about, um, but it's trending obviously a lot higher. Um, so so what are your thoughts around this and maybe what you would change and everything about what's you know happening and what we could do going forward? Yeah. Yeah. Look, it's there's there's a few different things that 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 needs to happen. Um, and I think most of the time, you know, clients just need to or, or businesses need to really look at who they're trading with. Now, one of the one of the products and the main products that I deal in is, is trade credit. Trade credit is obviously a protection device and protection insurance that protects you while you're trading. And it sort of stops that domino effect because if you're a client that's got credit insurance and you don't have to suffer a loss, then you can pay your suppliers, right? So that, that definitely helps. But, you know, the issue that you've got, especially in Australia, is the lack of transparency, right? So in some European regions, most European regions, there's a requirement for businesses to file their accounts publicly, whether they're private or, or, or public, doesn't matter. They file their accounts. So everybody can see what's going on under the hood and everybody can see their numbers. Everybody knows that if they're struggling and they're making losses and making, you know, if they're making profits, it's visible, it's transparent. Right? Now, that's great. Right? And having that visibility definitely helps. It doesn't stop it, but at least it gives you that visibility. The one thing that that does is it allows risk assessors like credit report companies, trade uh, trade credit insurers, it allows them to make assessments on a risk, you know, and you know, with that level of transparency, it it's definitely going to help the overall, you know, the overall system, right? And it's going to give us that. It's going to give us that uh, that that insight into into company risk. The, the 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 second one that I think probably needs to happen is you you're probably looking at um, the APRA, so the Australian Prudential Regulatory Authority. Bit of a mouthful. Um, there needs to be some easing. Of the way they treat um, capital relief on insured funding, right? So the banks will lend a line of credit or they'll invoice finance, and what happens is they've got a certain amount of risk when they lend that money out, right? But when it's protected by instruments like credit insurance, in again, again, I'm going to come back to European countries. In European countries, those banks can get capital relief, so they don't have to hold so much capital against us those funds when it's credit insured that doesn't happen in australia and because of that the banks don't really hold too much credence on credit insurance they do with concentrations sometimes but they don't have a direct benefit with a client that's credit insured now if that was eased that would definitely improve access to funding access to larger lines and overall liquidity in the system and I think probably the, the, the third thing that would be really controversial and it would be difficult to implement um, would be compulsory, compulsory cover, compulsory protection for certain size businesses or certain sectors, right? So at the moment, um, I'm just going to share the screen again and I'm going to give you this screen. I'm going to show you the certain sectors that are most at risk. Right? 
And these are the, the insolvency numbers. Can you see the screen? Yep. Okay. So as you can see there, construction. Right? Construction's up there. Right? So in terms of insolvency risk, it's construction. Right? Construction is the, is the culprit really for the most amount of insolvencies and appointments. Follow closely, not too closely, but second, to accommodation and food services. Now, that's your, your hotels, your cafes, your, your restaurants, that type of stuff. But again, it's in that, in that sort of retail, retail area. And again, you've got retail area, right? So the retail trade. So you could, you could maybe, you know, um, this would be a government mandate. You could maybe turn around and say, oh, okay, look, you know, if we actually put some sort of minimum protection for businesses that are dealing in these sectors, it would then offshore a lot of the insolvency risk to insurers. So that, that could be a solution. I mean, that's that's pretty controversial. Um, I think I'd be extremely wealthy overnight if that ever happened. Uh, but uh, but it, it is one possible solution. Um, but the main thing, I think, probably is transparency. Right? If, if everybody can see what their numbers are looking like, you can make your own credit assessments. Right? And as long as they're you know, reputable and the numbers are clear, it's, it's going to be easier for most companies to trade and to look at margins and things like that. So it's quite useful, quite useful. Yeah, awesome, mate. Thank you for sharing that. Um, always love the back end about what mm. you could do. Let's talk a little bit more about trade credit insurance because um, mm. a lot of people might be going, what is Dean talking about here, right? You know what I mean, generally? Um, that happens most of the time, mate. Yeah. <laughs> That's it. So, um, you know, for those people that mm. aren't there, right, going, oh, what mm. is this? Um, explain us, yeah, a bit more deeper about what it is and, you know, how it can help us and, and protect us. Yeah, of course. Um, so um, effectively, it's a business to business. Um, it's a business to business cover, right? So it's a it's an insurance that covers businesses that are trading with other businesses on terms, right? So there needs to be a period of time where a particular company is waiting to be paid, right? And it could be for goods or services, and it can be domestic trade or it can be export trade doesn't really matter there's no borders there's some countries that are excluded for obvious reasons but ordinarily exporters and domestic traders that's what we're looking at so what effectively happens is uh, a company would take out credit insurance and they would be covered for all of their clients that they that they're trading with right so you've got somebody that's selling widgets and they're selling it to joe blogs engineering and there's a chance that joe blogs engineering may go bust before they've had a chance to pay for those widgets. Now, in terms of in terms of what you're covering, you're covering the invoice value, not the manufacturing cost or something different. But what, in a nutshell, you're covering those invoices that are out to those particular debtors and those clients. And the underwriters or the insurers will pay a percentage of that invoice in the event of a loss. Now, it, a lot of people say, okay, so when do I get paid? Okay, there's two main triggers, right? And that's insolvency, which is what we've been looking at. And this is why insolvency numbers are key to, to what I do. And the second one is, is a default, right? So protracted default, whereby they just don't pay, right? Somebody's just having financial difficulty and they've got cash flow issues and they just, they're just not paying, right? So there's no money. Um, the, the latter is probably a bit of a red herring because when you look at the actual claims that are assessed, and this is something that you know, don't quote me on the number. Well, you're recording me, but the the loosely 
default claims are, are not that prevalent. It's the majority of the time, I would say probably around about 90% of the claims are insolvency claims because one or two things happen in that waiting period for a default definition. Either the insurer or the client collects the debt, in which case the client gets their money, or two, they go insolvent, and in which case you claim under the insolvency trigger. Um, so that they're, they're the main triggers that, that, that really you're looking at, most businesses will look at. Now, if you're an exporter, then you can get into the political risk triggers, right? Slightly different to the political risk side of the business that I look at, but if we're talking trade credit, you're looking at, you know, or you're looking at acts of terrorism, you're looking at transfer, cause of loss, you know, anything that's associated with an export country, you know, it's going to be loosely protected by the political risk. So, you know, one example that I always use, and it's an old one, but it's a good one, um, when the, there was a, a ban on British beef, right? So remember the, the, the mad cow disease back in the day? And you've got, you have lots and lots of meat traders, beef traders that were sending their, their meat, their beef over to France. And the French turned around and said, you all got crazy cows. We're not paying for them, right? And all of a sudden, you know, the, the, the exporters of, of, of British beef said, what do we do? You know, they're not paying us. Um, they we're having to kill our cattle, blah, 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 blah. Um, but that was a political trigger, right? So that was a government action that says, no, you're not allowed to pay for those goods or services, regardless whether there's anything wrong with them or not. It's a government mandate, so it's a government moratorium. So the political risk triggers become important when you're exporting, but in the main, insolvency and default are your, your go-to. That's what most people are looking at. Does that, does that help? Yeah, definitely, it does help. Yeah. And I guess one question that I have, and it, it's probably a, a scale, is about the percentage. You mentioned about a percentage, right, that you're there. So you don't necessarily get all of it, but you get a percentage mm -hmm. of it. And I don't know whether, depending on the type of policy you have and how much you pay, um, I don't know if the percentages differ or something like that. So how does that, what are the options, I guess, you know, with, so someone's not expecting 100% potentially, right, of it back, um, you know, if, if they're making a claim. Exactly. So your, your typical your typical percentage or percentage cover, which is what we call indemnity, is 90%. That's pretty standard. You can you can go lower than that, but I would never recommend going lower than that because it has too much of an impact on the back end of the claim. You know, so taking a 90% down to 85%, but then if you if you have a million dollar loss, that's quite a big chunk to come down. So 90% is is just standard in the market. What we can do is we can dial up or down the risk retention that the client takes. Right? So the excess is something else that's applied. So you have 90% indemnity on the invoice, but then the client will also pay an, uh, an excess out of deductible. Right? Or it could also be a, like a franchise deductible stroke threshold level to, to achieve. But it's around about that sort of 5,000 is your standard in the market, right? So most clients that come to me, they'll, they'll start off with, okay, give me a belt and braces, champagne option, best indemnity, lowest excess, and then that spits out whatever price it is. And then we start saying, okay, well, look, how much risk can you actually take? What do you actually need to make sure your business doesn't shutter in the event of loss? And then we start getting into that risk tolerance. But effectively, that 90% with an excess is your standard in the market. So if you, for example, um, I've got a, a client in Melbourne, which saved their business, fantastic. Um, and they had they had a couple of claims. 
ranging from 130 to 60. And we have their claims paid out. I think they're on 90% with a 5,000 excess. So, you know, from $130,000, they got nearly $115,000, $120,000 back, right? Based on the excess that they had. Now that saved their business, you know, without a shadow of a doubt. And they were paid out relatively quickly. Now, when you think about it, you know, okay, it's insurance, right? <laughs> so, 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 you know, are the insurers going to pay us? Yes, they are, right? Credit insurance is a slightly different model because it's a little bit more involved. And providing you've got everything lined up, it goes relatively smoothly, right? So once you've got your invoices, you've got your know, debt, and you've got you've got the cover endorsed for the policy, they're your main pillars for your claims, right? So, you know, that particular client that, you know, had those claims paid out, that 90% indemnity was key because if they'd had a lower indemnity, say a 75 or an 80%, which we never ever recommend, that claim payment would be significantly less just by dialing up that indemnity. So it's all it's more to do with the excess than the indemnity because indemnity tends to be around about 100%. Yeah. Does that help? It does help. And yeah. I guess I know the insurance world, I'm going to keep asking you questions because um, I used to live with my housemate who was in the reinsurance industry for many, many years. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, so yeah. I'm uh, probably a bit yeah. well-versed, but for people mm. that um, maybe yeah, not, because I know in a lot of claims as well, there can be limits on like potential limits or you can adjust this on like how many times you can claim a year or if you do claim, mm. then does that change the policy or something like that? You know what I mean? With mm what's going forward. So is there anything that we need to be thinking about here about like, you, you're not just going to, oh yeah, this business, you know, it has, you know, you just keep claiming every month or something like that, um, mm -hmm. how that works. So yeah, what are what are some of the options or, or what we need to just think about about that side of things as well? Yeah, look, I mean, a lot of, there's, there's a lot of misconceptions that you know, if you if you suffer a big claim, all of a sudden you're, you're, you know, your premiums are going to double, right? Um, there's, there's something in the industry called a one-off hit now, if everybody gets hit by that one insolvency, um, for example, Porter Davis going bust or Pro Builds, you know, the big construction uh, businesses went bust in the last couple of uh, last year or so, they had a huge domino effect throughout the industry. There were subbies everywhere that just got tagged, um, and everybody everybody was covering them um, up to a certain extent, and the the underwriters paid out those claims. Right? And what happened is, you know, there were some chunky claims that were made. And depending on who your broker is, <laughs> right, and depending on the negotiation and depending on your, your entire loss history, it doesn't mean that your premium is going to go absolutely crazy. Right? If it does and the underwriter does say, look, you know, we, we're going to have to put it up, we've still got the option of actually going to the market and saying, look, they got tagged by Porter Davis or, or ProBuild, but it was a one-off. It was the first loss they've had in the last five years. What's the best rate? Right. And then we sort of go back to the back to the, the market and say, okay, what's a fair rate for this loss history? But you know, what you've got to bear in mind is if you do have claims and you're having multiple claims throughout the year, your premium is going to go up, right? Um, but it's probably a good idea to look at the sort of clients you're doing business with if you keep on having claims, <laughs> right? So the underwriters will give you cover and they'll provide you risk cover and they will ensure you know, the bad risks, as well as the good risks, right? And everybody says, well, that's another misconception, right? And it's, oh, well, the underwriters only cover the good risks. And it's like, well, they wouldn't do any business at all if they only covered the good, the good risks, right? There is a blend, right? 
So what we look at in this industry, and in particular in Australia, is we look at a whole turnover type structure. And you know, with a whole turnover type structure, you give the underwriters your entire business, and then you just dial up that risk retention amount. So what you're effectively doing is you're just spreading that risk out. But you know, in terms of the insurers looking at looking at the risk, what you end up with is you end up with a certain amount of a certain amount of risk in your portfolio that is accepted and a certain amount of risk that isn't but you've got to ask yourself if you're having significant losses all the time even with the underwriters agreeing those covers are you trading with the right sort of the, the right clients right? um underwriters can only get you so far and they will also decline those bad risks right and make you avoid those bad debts but nobody's infallible right and the underwriter's job is to write risk. So even if they're writing them, you can still have losses. And in which case, your claims are going, you know, your premium is going to go up if you have more claims. But there are things that we can do to tweak it if it, you know, if it starts to get a bit exy on the price. That, that's that's probably what you're looking for. Yeah, yeah definitely. Um, good point. And and I love that you brought it back to the business, right? Because it's like, mm. yes, you want to protect the risk, but are you doing this properly in the first place? Um, you know, yeah. It's, uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Really key point. And it um, comes back to that transparency thing as well. Um, yeah. You know, so, you know, you're saying about, you know, what can we do to, to sort of improve? You know, if there's more transparency, so the underwriters that are assessing these, these clients that you're trading with, you know, they're assessing them on external information, you know, companies like Credit Watch, and they're looking at, you know, they're looking at history, they're looking at you know, the directors, they're looking at the sector, they're looking at, you know, any payment defaults or lack of payment defaults. There's very limited information there, but they're very, very good at what they do. Um, and then the insurers have obviously got other clients that are also dealing with that particular business. So they can, they know the history of that client. And sometimes, you know, they will have accounts and they'll approach them and they'll ask them for accounts and they'll assess those accounts. But the lack of transparency as standard in this market makes it difficult to assess those risks and also identify buyers that may be struggling, right? So, when a limit is written, it doesn't mean that, oh, great, that client's perfect and there's nothing wrong with them. Because one, the information that they've assessed is usually old by six months. Um, two, you know, at the end of the day, you know, the underwriters made those assessments and things change, you know, things happen, you know, and that's why you buy insurance. You're buying it for those unexpected catastrophic losses. So, you yeah, know, it makes sense. Yeah, cool. And so then what happens on the other end, right? Like these businesses, they become insolvent, right? And then the, the people come in and they're trying to, I don't know, are they, are they trying to then sell these businesses? Are they trying to sell the assets? Like what's what's happening from there? Because they're growing, right? This is a, this is a thing here, but maybe there's some opportunity, right? Here, if I'm just thinking about it, yes, you want to protect yourself as the business, but then what if, I don't know, a competitor goes insolvent, right? And going, wait a minute, well, they've got some good good things there that I could get or something like that as part of it. So is there is there some opportunity in, in you know, ever in challenging times, right? They always say the wealthy, yeah. there's always opportunity, right? And there. So what are your thoughts around these opportunities that could potentially be happening um, in the market as well? Yeah, look, I think, again, it comes back to, it comes back to, sorry, my dogs are barking in the background. Um, it, it comes back to opportunity, right? So um, I've got a, one of my clients, you know, had a conversation with him the other week. He said, I said, how are you going? He said, yeah, good. 
I said, uh, I said, how's business? He said, look, I'm picking up, I'm picking up business organically. I'm like, oh, great. He said, I just need to be the last man standing, right? And that's basically what, what it comes down to, right? So you've got companies that are going insolvent in particular sectors. Um, let's take a, a fencing manufacturer, right? And they're especially fencing manufacturer, and there might be 20, 30 of them in that particular region, and they're all dropping like flies, right? Now, perfect. One of them goes bust. Okay, it's not us. Okay, brilliant. Okay, we're not affected. Um, but the opportunity there is organic growth because there's less competition in that pool. And two, there's an opportunity there to obviously purchase the business, right? That's a little bit probably uh, above some people's sort of um, sort of salaries <laughs> and pay scales and, and, and ability to buy. But it, 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 there's definitely opportunity there to, to actually grow organically. Um, it's 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 more to do with it's more to do with that organic growth than that acquisition, I would say, for, for companies that are seeing companies go insolvent in their particular field. That's probably the easiest. That's probably the easiest answer. Yeah, yeah. I love it. And and by having the insurance, you know, you're yeah. gonna stay around, right? Because if something exactly. happens, you will be yeah. one of the last men standing, if not the last man, mm -hmm. right? And then you'll be able to make sure that you can then exactly. you've got more market share, basically. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah definitely. Yeah. Yeah. yeah nice. Interesting one. It's definitely been challenging for the construction mm -hmm. market, you know, with people yeah. signing agreements and then all the mm -hmm. materials and everything going up and that in, in the yeah. market. It's been a, a big challenge. And I guess, yeah. so in terms of what you're thinking, and obviously no one's got a crystal ball, but is it looking like, Basically, we're going to keep the numbers up, right? That the insolvency numbers are going to be keep increasing. And then, um, you know, obviously there's a lag effect, but then it's going to create a little bit more challenging times in that, you know, recessiony, depressiony, whatever um, language that we use um, in that, that that's what you're seeing that's going to basically become happening slowly over the period going forward. Yeah, look, it, it's, it's, I, I make these, I don't mean to be a prophet of doom, you know, um, Typical insurance broker, oh, you, you know, your factory might burn down or oh, you, your largest client might go bust. I don't like talking in those terms, but, you know, when you look at the data and you look at the numbers, you know, we're definitely back to, to, to sort of pre-COVID levels, right? And that's just a fact, you know? Um, so we've gone through that period of just artificial numbers to something more resembling reality, right? Now, the, the issue is, is how much havoc has that wrecked on company balance sheets, right? How many zombie companies are just limping around out there that just haven't got enough liquidity or are just taking on contracts at a loss just to keep the turnover going, right? So, you know, it, it's it's a real difficult one to look at, Aiden, to be honest with you. And and I can only I can only guess as to the sort of timing. Um, and like I said earlier, it's probably six to 12 months before you really start to see an impact. You know, if you look at the CPI numbers and you look at the unemployment rates, the unemployment's going down. Right? Um, but then you look at you look at the CPI index, and that's you know that that's going down as well. And it's like, well, okay, well, shouldn't everything be getting more expensive? And shouldn't you know insolvency be going through the roof if all these companies are going bust? And they're not, right? Now, is that down to the reporting and how they're reporting? I don't know, right? But you know, all I know is you know, when you've got a company that goes bust and they owe, you know, $30 million to creditors and they had, you know, 200 people working for them, those, you've got 200 people hitting the workforce all trying to get the same job, right? 
And if they go out there and try to get the same job, then all of a sudden, you know, that job that you was paying X is now paying Y. So it's about it's about that sort of lag effect and what's going to happen, right? And I, I haven't got a crystal ball, but I can only I can feel it. It's going to get worse, right? Before it gets better, I think it needs to get worse before it gets better. And it comes back to that last month standing, you know, that last month standing phrase. You know, you've just got to try and keep your head above water and just ride it out, you know. And that's across most sectors and most businesses. But I'm probably teaching most of circuits there. It's uh, it's pretty, it's fairly obvious, really. Yeah, I love it, mate. And I guess for me, if I was putting my my business growth, you know, um, cap on with be strategist, you know, what I'd also say to businesses, I don't know if you have these conversations, is maybe you need to change something. Maybe you need to increase your prices because your cost of increases. Maybe you need to change your target market because what you're doing is changing. Maybe you need to provide different types of services than what you're doing because there's better markets somewhere else and it's just not happening, right? Where you are. Um, so you can get the better clients so that you're not getting, you know, getting done on having to, you know, bad trading and, and terms and not getting paid for things. So it's like, maybe it's not always doing what you've always done. It's looking at a new way of doing it, right? Because then yeah, yes, you've got the insurance, but like you said, you shouldn't just have to focus on that. It's like, maybe the business has to change as well. Yeah, exactly. And, and there's still tweaks that you can do to the business. The biggest thing is, 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 is collections, right? So even without insurance, just getting what's called your day sales outstanding or your DSO down by just a couple of days, right? If you're giving 30 day terms and on average you're getting paid around about 50 days, that your cash flow difference is massive if you reduce that to say 40 days, right? And there's a few things that you can do to, to ensure that. And that's just ramping up your credit management systems right? and making sure that you've got processes in place where you're actually reminding clients and sending them statements and really being dogmatic about the way in which you collect your debts. And you, you'd be so surprised. I've been spoke to businesses that are absolutely pristine in that area, really, really good at collecting debts, you know. I've got one down in Melbourne, she knows who she is. Um, but you know, on the other, on the other end of the scale, you've got people who sort of just send out invoices and just whistle in the wind until they get paid, you know, and you just think, well, what are you doing? You know, you need to chase that debt, you know, because it's cash flow, right? They, they say cash is king. You have to do it. So, you know, it's a, it's, it's tough. It's tough everywhere, but there are things you can do. Definitely. Yeah. I love that, mate. So true. And I've heard, I remember hearing some of the bigger companies as well, where they get companies in that they actually buy the, the debt. Right. Mm -hmm. And, and yeah. like you might get 90% or whatever the percentage mm -hmm. is that they give you, but you get it straight away and then they yeah. chase it. Right. Yeah. So, exactly. um, you know, it's uh yeah. that's, that's a way like, whether you, you know, might not do it for everything, but you know, mm. there's other ways, like you said, right. Of how can you get the cash quicker? Because that could mm. be the difference between, you know, you having a successful business or not. Um, and then. Mm. Yeah, exactly. And, so, and, and what you're referring to there, I mean, there's, there's also something called you know, sort of um, non-recourse, non-recourse non funding or factoring, um, bit, of a, bit of a dirty word in certain circles, but, and it's, it, it can get a little bit dependent and it's very dependent on the factor continuing to afford you those lines of credit because if they pull it it can be detrimental so it can it can have a negative effect but when it works it works really well and it means that yeah the the, the, the financier or the bank or whatever they will take your invoice for a hundred thousand and they'll give you eight percent of the value right or nine percent of the value or whatever that is and then 
it's theirs and it's up to them whether they collect it or not right and that's that's a perfect way of doing it um the other the other side of it is if you've got delinquent debts that are sat there have sat there for a long long time you can sell that to a debt collection agency and say right you collect it it's yours give me 20 20 cents on the dollar and it's your it's yours if you collect it um so that, that's quite a, a lucrative area it's not massively popular in australia um but i do know a few people who do it um but there are options out there if you're struggling you know and you need to you need to get the cash flow obviously the first port of call is to make sure that you're, you're very close to your clients and that you've got a an unforgiving collection procedure right because it's a bit like the squeaky wheel gets the oil right you know as well as i do you know if somebody's chasing you for payment right you're going to pay them right somebody's not chasing you for payment you're not going to pay up <laughs> right but if somebody's on you and they're like right your invoice is due um on monday here's a statement of how much you owe um when can i expect the remittance bus and and then all of a sudden they bring you the next day look i spoke to you yesterday da, da, da. and it's, oh, in the end you just want to you just want to yeah that's the one i'm paying because i just I just can't handle them chasing me every two seconds, right? So as long as you've got those processes and those procedures in place, it's definitely going to help improve things. Not to be all and end all. Of course, it doesn't allow for an insolvent event. Right? It could be, they could be the best payer in the world and you might have the best procedures in place. But if external factors cause them to go bust, it doesn't matter how good your credit management is, you're going to suffer a loss. So, you know, you just need to get 90% there and then you have other vessels and other protections like insurance to make sure that you're completely covered you know up to about so yeah. yeah there's lots 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 the companies can do mate lots the yeah. companies can do no that's right and uh protection is always um you mm. know better um you know because you don't want to go down mm. the other thing and, and ride that wave and, and what could happen from there yeah oh yeah definitely uh, you know and look uh, uh, coming back to this sort of last man standing it, it also you know it also gives you a, a certain advantage as well right so Think about it this way. If you are a business and you're selling widgets and, you know, engineer comes to you and says, right, I need $100,000 worth of widgets, please. And you turn around and say, yeah, great. You can have $100,000 of widgets, but uh, I want $100,000 up front, please. Okay. And they say, oh, okay, yeah. Um, okay, yeah, love it. Your competition down the road says exactly the same thing, sells exactly the same widgets. That particular engineering company comes in and they say, right, I need $100,000 of widgets. Can I have them on 30-day terms? And they go, yes, you can. Who are they going to pick? They're going to pick the one that's providing them credit and time to pay, right? Because those widgets are going to be going into something or they're going to be reselling them themselves. They're going to be changing them and they're going to be creating their product to sell for a profit. So what's the best form of cash flow? You use your, you use your suppliers, credit terms, to give you breathing space to be able to sell your product for a higher price. So credit makes the world go round. Debt makes the world go round. But if you've got that protection in place, it gives you a little bit more, more comfort to be able to give those credit terms and a competitive advantage over somebody that would otherwise want money up front. You're going to win that business over somebody like that. Right? And that translates, that translates into sales and it translates into growth. So it's a, a direct thing. Yeah, awesome, mate. Love that. Such a, a very mm. valuable point um, that you shared there, mate. Mm. And so much value you've shared here today with with it all. And I guess as we're starting to wrap up, what one key piece of advice would yeah. you like to give to everyone watching and listening today? Oh, mate, I think I think key piece of advice is just 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 have a conversation. You know, have a conversation about your credit management. 
uh, about your business. You know, what what is what is what is a company's growth target? Where are they going? And how do they, how are they going to get there? You know, and you know that's probably one of the most overlooked questions that most you know sort of uh, advisors or brokers or whoever they just they're so myopic in what they, they're doing. They're looking or they're looking at PI or they're looking at particular type of insurance. They're looking at you know, the certain risks in the business. But you need an holistic approach and say, okay, where are you going to be in five years, and how are you going to get there? You know, where are your clients going to come from? You know, what products are you going to be selling? How are you actually going to get there? So I always I always think that you know the best piece of advice is just to to listen more. Probably doesn't come across that way because I do talk a lot, but I do tend to listen more than I talk when I'm in front of clients. And you know the, the key question is the growth. Where's the growth going to come from? That's what that's the business conversation that most people should be having now. In this current time, you know, with the volatility and the uncertainty that's out there at the moment, it's a really, really difficult environment. And you know, it's not going to last forever. You know, there's going to be a there's going to be a not necessarily a hockey stick recovery, but it's gonna it's gonna get better. Right? So how do you position yourself to get better? And it's by having those conversations and having those strategies in place ready for when things turn. You know, because if you have the right strategy in place, it'll turn quicker. I'm soon. You know? Yeah, yeah. definitely may completely agree. And uh, yeah, these are definitely the conversations I have uh, with my clients too, because it's so important. Mm -hmm. And then you can work backwards, right? And protect yourself, yeah. focus on the growth strategies, all of those things mixed together. So yeah, love it, man, really powerful. And yeah, we connected by network. So I learned about your awesome journey from having a lot of experience yeah. in the credit industry, like you yeah. said, 30 plus years, um, you know, to now uh, and being obviously yeah. in insurance and all that fun times from a young age. I love that story from mm. uh, 13 and, and getting mm. into it to now being the yeah. founder and director at a specialty brokerage firm called Jenkins Insurance and Financial Services. Uh, awesome guy, mate. Uh, she had a lot yeah. of knowledge and great stats with us to be wary That's and great. plan and, uh, and protect ourselves going forward. I'm sure you'll continue to do uh, whatever it takes, right, to help your clients protect their businesses from catastrophic trading debts, uh, improving liquidity and access at global markets. Very grateful we connected, mate. I look forward to working with you. So, um, Dean, how can people find you and get in contact with you? Uh, the best way to get in contact with me would be um, gifs.com.au. So, J-I-F-S.com.au. All my details, contact details, everything that I do is on there. Um, again, it's all in plain English, plain and simple, because that's the way I roll. Keep it simple, you know? So that's the best way. Yeah, awesome, guys. Well, definitely check out the website there, and uh, it'll be down below. And um, yeah, if you ever want to just have a conversation, right, about this, because you probably weren't aware of it, now you, you're more aware and going, well, what's, what does that work for me, especially if you're in a, a more risk um, type of business, then it's even more important, you know, for you guys. So yeah. awesome stuff. Definitely check out Dean and uh, and take it from there. And and thank you to everyone for watching, listening to this show. Where we talk about everything on business growth. And please like, subscribe, leave us a five-star review. And you can find me on LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube as Ethan Cassiotis or visit my website, ethancassiotis.com. If you want to go on, grow and scale your business, you can reach out to me in any platform to see if we're a good fit. And I completely agree with you. Or do I? The only way we know is if you tune in next time. So until next time, remember that our business grows, but we learn skills and take action using them in spite of fear. So remember to design your growth and results. Mm -hmm.